Our second lesson is from uh, Luke's second volume in the New Testament. There is the Gospel of Luke, and then the Acts of the Apostles, which of course uh, comes after, chronologically, the continuation of the Gospel of Luke, by another name. The 11th chapter. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord. For nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from, from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me, Go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God, saying, then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Open our ears, O Lord, that we would hear the gospel. May your Holy Spirit be the one who teaches us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. The gospel, the word gospel, means good news. I think many of you probably know that. So sometimes uh, we will say the good news about Jesus Christ instead of using the word gospel so that folks don't miss the boldness of the claim that what Jesus accomplished in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension is the very best news that a human being could ever hope for. That's the position of, of Jesus' followers from the beginning. The best news any human being could ever hope for. Unfortunately, 
followers of Jesus have not always been the best at telling or embodying that story. This said is certainly part, part of the best news about the gospel is that we are people who know our sins are forgiven, that God's love is always for us, and so strong that we can't separate ourselves from God's love, even when we do things that hurt others and dishonor God. God forgives us because he loves us and intends to change us from the inside out through the process of our receiving God's forgiveness and love. But that isn't it full stop. That's not the best news about what God's doing in the world, period. That's only part of the story of the great news about Jesus Christ. And it is certainly essential to that story. But God goes about doing something really big, really big, and he uses us and our ongoing participation in faith and repentance to do it. But what's really big about it is not that it's something that happens to us, but it's something that happens to the whole world. Something that happens to the whole world. And that's what we catch a glimpse of in the vision of St. John from Revelation that Amy just read to us earlier in the first lesson. We get a glimpse of that. That God is redeeming the whole world and that the scope of this redemption takes into account not only the whole world, but all people, all people, and all sorts of people. Now we need to focus on telling the story of the good news of Jesus Christ in this way. I'm going to say, at least this morning, I'm going to say, for two main reasons. One, because it's a robust, it's a robust summary of the truth. But two, especially because in our time and place in history, reasonable people can look around and see that if there is ever to be good news for this world, it can only be recognized as good news when human beings find a way to live with many differences while being held together by a common love that calls each person to love others and welcome others even as they have been loved and welcomed by God. And that there is a way for us to even love our enemies, <clears throat> our enemies perceived or real. The only way that people who aren't already inside of God's story of, redeem of redeeming the world will ever be able to tell that our story of God's redemption of the world is really good news to them is if they can get a picture of what it looks like in a global way, in a way that affects the entire world, in a way that, in fact, that affects all people and human dynamics between all people all over the world. When I say reasonable people can look around and see a need for a way forward like this, here's what I'm thinking about. See if you can relate to this. I'm thinking about the times when one may feel like one is coming out of one's skin at a family gathering 
because one simply can't stand being near or listening to certain family members go on and on about their political views and in the process make it seem as if one and one's friends are horrible people. I know this has not happened to anybody, right? Or when we look around the world more seriously, not that that's not serious, but when we look around the world and see the carnage going on, we realize the only thing that can stop it, the only thing that can stop it, is if enemies can be reconciled. The only way. The bold news of the gospel claims that Jesus' love is strong enough to empower human beings with profound differences to learn to welcome one another and to love each other. And strong enough, God's love is, to enable enemies to be reconciled. When we need to tell the story of Jesus in this way, for the sake of the world, we also need to realize that we have a tremendous responsibility to model God's love for all people by emphasizing the universal and cosmic scope of God's love. And all that starts, all of that starts, believe it or not, with how well it is that you and I welcome all people and all sorts of people at Grace Chicago Church. That's where it starts. You can't tell the story of God's love for all people and lean into the fullness of it without embracing it in a sincere way as a universal welcome in our church communities. This is what Peter is learning that is recorded for us in the book of Acts. And we overhear him telling a bit about what he's learning in his recounting of what is one of the most startling and disruptive things that had ever happened to him. And that is saying why? Because up to the that point in the history of Peter, a lot of startling and disruptive things had happened in his life. But Peter sees one of the most, and recognizes one of the most startling and disruptive things to be that vision that he had, that he was to take the message of the love of God for all people to the Gentiles, and that he was now to not keep kosher anymore. And if you don't believe what I'm saying, just read carefully the text. And the Lord is speaking to Peter, and Peter recognizes it's the Lord. The Lord says, it's not the first time he's contradicted Jesus, right? I mean, he has done this before, but he does it again. The Lord says, go do this thing, Peter. Peter says, no. No, Lord, is this a test? I don't do those things. I don't go around and eat with those people and I don't eat those foods. And the Lord says three times, I'm serious. Do it. And then he does it. There's a big celebration. It was a big deal. And the elders in Jerusalem, they know it's a big deal. Which is why they demand an account from Peter. He tells them his story and they believe him, no doubt because the Spirit is at work in their hearts, the same Spirit that moved Peter to do it in the first place, stirring up faith and trust. And the outcome is powerful. 
the Jewish leadership celebrates the inclusion of the Gentiles, everyone who is not a Jew, in God's story of the redemption of the world. You've heard me quote our friend Aaron Peeper before. You know, he's a professor of New Testament. He did his work on Acts. But every time the Holy Spirit speaks directly to a person in the book of Acts and says, go do this and go do that, a social barrier is broken down and the gospel then flows out into a people group that's included in the church that had not been included before. Now, I am going through the gravity of all this in such a tedious way because I think it's easy to hear a story like this from the Bible and miss just how explosive the action in the story really is. And also miss how seismic the implications of that action are. It was a big deal. And the struggle to live into the welcome of the Gentiles into the church occupies a great deal of the pastoral work that's reflected in the letters to the churches. In other words, living into that welcome was a struggle. It was not easy. It was a struggle because Jews and Gentiles had spent so many years, at best, deeply suspicious of one another, and at worst, fighting wars with each other. Sidebar, um, I had to make notes for the Sunday school class today from the same text because the kids read the, and, 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 and work on the same text that we work on in, in church. And I'm going to explain this to kids. So then we made Aaron Keeper do it. No, <laughs> that's not why. Aaron substituting for another reason. However, it's a good Sunday for him to be in there. Um, it's in his wheelhouse, so to speak, in a big way. Um, but one of the phrases that I, that I threw into the mix, trying to explain to them why it's so hard for Peter to do this and accept it, why it's so hard for Peter's elders in Jerusalem to accept that it's okay, and, and, and why it's such a struggle for Jews and Gentiles to recognize each other in love. And as I said, you know, they spent centuries in war with each other, fighting each other. And I said, it's hard to talk about love, much less God's love, when you're fighting all the time. <laughs> I don't know how that will play out in there, but I thought, well, that's probably a good thing for all of us to think about. Um, anyway, in the sidebar. So the inclusion of the Gentiles was at once incredibly disruptive for Christ's followers. That we've seen. Um, incredibly disruptive in the communities that have gathered around the risen Christ. And it uh, preoccupied a lot of the pastoral concerns in those young churches was to take the initial reconciliation between Jews and Gentiles and to make it real and lived out. But the inclusion of the Gentiles for the early church was also incredibly hopeful. Incredibly hopeful. Why incredibly hopeful? Because the same people who struggled to accept it at first are the very ones that recognize that it is the very seismic shift of God's welcome that includes the Gentiles that previews the redemption of the whole world, what we saw in the future in the book of Revelation. 
the early church began to see, oh my goodness, we are part of something that is so much bigger than us. Hallelujah. Oh my goodness, the depths of the mystery of God. In other words, they came to understand that what God was doing in their local churches where sworn enemies were now in communion with each other was a necessary part of the unfolding of something so much bigger, so beautiful, the future of where humankind is going. And, and Paul says as much about this. And remember from Caleb's sermon the other Sunday, you know, Paul was a Jew who was persecuting the church, and, and Jesus comes and says, why are you doing this? And Paul says, why am I doing this? Oh my, he comes to his senses and he repents. And then he becomes appointed to be the messenger of the early church to the Gentiles. And so when Paul, you know, a few years later, is mulling over all this, this is what he writes prayerfully in the book of Ephesians. He says this about what he's doing. This is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. For the sake of you Gentiles. For surely you've already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given to me and how the mystery was made known to me by, by revelation as I wrote above in a few words, a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ. I read all that to get to this point. In order for you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ in former generations, this mystery was made known to humankind. I'm sorry, it's not made known to humankind, but has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And that mystery is that the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What Paul came to understand, the early church came to understand, is that the very mystery of Christ, in other words, the mystery of what Christ is all about is revealed through this seismic shift that reconciles those who had previously been enemies and makes them at home with each other in this new community gathered around the risen Lord Jesus Christ, a foretaste, the world to come, that's pictured in that reading from Revelation. Now, I've been talking about what Peter has experienced here, and I've been using, you know, words that are deliberately meant to jar you, words like seismic, to describe the actions that happen to Peter and that he does in response to them and then what it means for the early church. And I'm doing that on purpose because I want us to realize that welcoming people not like you, who make you, whoever you are, I'll put it back in myself, Welcoming people that are not like me, who make me feel uncomfortable, that is a way of participating in God's redemptive love for all people. And the title of the sermon, Keeping Up with God's Welcome, is meant to point out that it is hard work. And the church has always struggled to keep up with God's welcome and at times gotten in the way of God's welcome of all people. It is truly something 
that as disciples of Jesus, we should sincerely worry about. Worry about whether or not we're doing it well enough. It's a key aspect of being faithful to the gospel. And finally, we cannot expect the church to grow unless we are experiencing seismic shifts in our understanding of the importance of a full and unconditional welcome extended by those inside the church to people very much not like them, whoever that people group might be. What Peter did when he went to Cornelius' home changed the world forever. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? When Peter heard the vision and argued with the Lord and then submitted to the words of the Holy Spirit to go and do that, to go to a residence of someone that he was deeply afraid of, an officer in the Roman army, Cornelius. When Peter did that, human history changed. That's the teaching of the scriptures right there. It's not something I made up. Who might we welcome that participates in such a wonderful story? And how might, how might we make sure that we don't get in the way of extending God's welcome? What Peter did only happened because of the Spirit. His fears and lack of faith were only overcome by the Spirit. When we welcome those not like us, and when we do it well and graciously, we do it in that same Spirit. And we are doing it in something that is tied to an outcome that can only be described as God's home being with mortals, and as mortals home, being at peace with one another. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.